Hello, Twisted Humans. Do you find yourself wanting to know more about the latest murder, conspiracy, cult, or haunting? Then this is the podcast for you. In 1952, there was a record high of UFOs reported. 1,500 sightings. There has been evidence of human sacrifice, devil worship, and it is haunted by more spirits than can be counted. A family of two adults and two kids reportedly saw a giant flying thing with glowing red eyes. And meanwhile, the family's nanny that helped Veronica to care for her and Lucian's children was found bludgeoned to death in the basement of their family home. I'm Alicia. And I'm Sierra. And this is Twisted Twisted and Uncorked. This podcast covers true crime cases that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Malice and Mocktails, a true crime podcast. Whether you're here for the malice or the mocktails, we're so happy you're here. And I'm your host, Katie. And I'm Emily. And um, we today we have another special guest with us, um, Alyssa from Talk the Mock. And if you don't follow her, you should because her stuff is so cool. Um, Alyssa, welcome. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited for this. I love true crime. Nice. Awesome. Um, cool. Well, um, we can, if you want to maybe share just a little bit about you and what you do, and then we can jump into the case. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, my name's Alyssa. I run the Talk the Mock account on Instagram. Um, I've been sober for just about three years, three years on Wednesday, actually. Um, nice. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. This past winter, I just decided to make a mocktail Instagram because I started making these fun little recipes with a bunch of non-alcoholic products. Um, I think that the non-alcoholic industry is really booming right now, and it's not going to slow down Mm -hmm. anytime. So I just think it's a great alternative for people who don't really want to drink alcohol or want to drink less alcohol. Um, So I'm kind of just advocating advocating for the non-alcoholic industry. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, well, I think you do a really good job, so keep it up. <laughs> yeah, appreciate that. Yeah. Um, okay, so today um, is an Emily episode. Um, so Emily, if you want to just jump in, because I don't, I don't know what you're talking about today, so it'll be a surprise for me too. Yes, I haven't told Katie anything. So um, let's see, let's get started. Um, and Alyssa, just like normal, just like Katie, feel free to just jump in and say, or ask questions or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So today we're talking about, um, he's kind of got several names, um, but his name is John Edward Howard Ruloff. Um, He was born near St. John, New Brunswick in Canada. Um, So he was known as the genius killer. Um, So I couldn't really find too, too much about his early years when I was researching him. But once I found out that one of his brothers also became somewhat famous, 
um, I was able to get more of his information from his brothers, uh, researching his brother. Um, so he was born um, really just to the right of Maine. Um, he was born William. Her uh, he was born to William Herman and Priscilla Amelia Howard, um, Danish immigrants in 1819. Um, he had five brothers, but only three of the six survived childhood. Um, the famous brother is William Herman Rulofsen, and he was one of the leading photographers in San Francisco, California of the time. Right? Isn't that interesting? Interesting. Um, their father passed sometime while the brother was an infant who was born in 1826. Um, so sometime 1826, 1828 maybe. Um, and I couldn't really find anything about Edward's childhood or teenage years, um, but basically everything starts at the age of 20 at, in 1839. Um, by the age of 20, he had already worked in a law firm for a couple of years, and he also served two years in prison for embezzlement. Of course. Starting off young. <laughs> Starting off young. Um, in 1842, he moved to Dryden, New York, where he became a school teacher. Um, and he started studying botanical medicine with Dr. Henry W. w. Bull. Um, the following year, he married Dr. Bull's 17-year-old cousin, Harriet Schutt, against the wishes of her family. Um, her family thought he was beneath their station. Ooh. But for whatever reason, she decided to marry him anyways. And they moved to Lansing. Um, after about a year... Mm, Lansing where? Okay. Nobody said. They just said Lansing, and I'm like, okay, wherever that is. Great. <laughs> I'm also, side note, I'm also very great at geography. And by great, I mean terrible. Um, <laughs> pretty much besides Texas and California and Florida, I don't know where anything is. Hey, I'm right there with you. When I was a child, I drew the map of Europe upside down. That's pretty good. That's pretty good that you could draw the map of Europe upside down or right side up. <laughs> so, um, so they were married for another year, and he wanted to move west um, so he could get another uh, professorship. But she didn't want to move because he would be moving her further away from her family. And he accused her of having an affair with Dr. Bull. Well, her cousin. Her cousin. Her cousin. I did find um, in another, uh, I did find in another um, document uh, that he was not her cousin, that he was just a family friend. So he could be either. I'm, I'm not really sure. Okay. Um, oh, no, I just lost my place. Um, so he accused her of having an affair with Dr. Bull. And then um, apparently there were problems in the marriage because on June 23rd, 1844, Harriet and Priscilla, their very young infant daughter, went missing. <gasps> Ruloff claimed that she left him, but his neighbors were suspicious. Um, I've read some sources that he was an abusive husband to begin with. So people think that he, so people at this time think that he beat them to death. <clears throat> yes. Um, and then the next day, um, the very next day, 
like the day that she went missing, um, he borrowed a horse and a wagon from his neighbors, the Andersons, and he told them that he was borrowing it so that he could return um, a wooden chest to his uncle. Um, he needed help from the from the husband, the neighbor. Um, he needed help lifting the chest, and apparently there was a half full sack or a pillowcase also in the wagon. Suspicious. Yes, yeah, suspicious. Nobody's um, yeah, everybody was like, huh, okay, I mean, whatever. At this point, like, she's not, they don't know that she's missing yet. They just right, are helping right. him do this. Um, no questions asked. No questions asked. Yeah, we're totally neighborly, whatever. Um, apparently, he was, like, super charismatic and likable as well, which we see from a lot of serial killers. Um, so he was seen driving toward Cayuga Lake, which is in the opposite direction from his uncle's house. Um, he returned later on that day with the chest that he said he was going to be returning to his uncle. He returned later that day with the chest and he was able to lift the chest out of the wagon by himself. And he told the Andersons his wife would be out of town for a few weeks and then he left town. The neighbors became suspicious and an investigation was launched by the police. And while he was gone, the police actually investigated his house and found all of Harriet's belongings as if she had not packed herself up. So that made everybody even more suspicious because why would Harriet leave out of town for a few weeks and leave all of her belongings? Right. So he eventually returned home. I don't, I don't know why he returned home, but he returned home and the town and her family and the police all suspected him of murder. And so her family started grilling him like, where's, where's Harriet? Where's Pula? Where are they? Where are they? Where are they? And he first claimed, she left me. Just like in our last case, the guy claimed that his wife left him. After he had said she died. That, he was a dumb right. That was that was that guy. This guy first claim, she left me. Oops, she left me. Then, then he changed his story and said, "Oh well, she didn't leave me. We moved to Ohio, Ohio, and that's where she is." Oh my god! So her family kept grilling him and kept grilling him and kept grilling him. So he fled, but his brother-in-law followed him and eventually captured him and took him to Ithaca. To, try, to stand trial for the murder of Harriet. Mm -hmm. um, the lake was dredged, nothing was found. So the grand jury, he was, he was at trial, the grand jury was like, well, we can't charge you for murder if there's no body. So instead they charged him with kidnapping because he couldn't produce his wife. Like he couldn't produce, even though he said like she was in Ohio, she left me, whatever, he couldn't, she wouldn't come to court. He couldn't show that she was alive and well, um, so they charged him with kidnapping. He, of course, defended himself um, in court. Like, he worked with his lawyer to defend himself. Like, he was, like, the main lawyer, even though he's not a lawyer. What? Oh, my God. Um, and we've seen that before, too. <laughs> yes, we see that a lot. Um, and he said since there was no evidence, there was no crime. There's, hmm. there's no evidence of any crime, therefore a crime must not have been committed. Right. That didn't work. 
and he was found guilty and sentenced to 10 years of hard labor in Auburn prison. And then I had to go off a tangent and look up Auburn prison, which is a New York prison. And it's actually like, it's the originator of the black and white tr prison stripe uniform. Like that's where that came from. Oh, neat. Right? Isn't that neat? Um, okay. And Auburn prison was a place you did not want to be sent. Um, it was the site of the first death by electrocution chair. Um, hard labor and eating were done in strictly enforced silence. Um, and besides working and eating, the prisoners were kept in solitary confinement. So it was, yeah, it, it was a rough, rough place. Um, and they did hard labor. Like they, they were in the chain gang. Like that's what Auburn prison was. Um, the working was done in silence, eating. It, it was a rough place. And he stayed there for, he served his whole 10 years. While in prison, he studied philology. And I don't know if y'all have ever heard of philology. I hadn't. It's the study of languages. So not learning languages, but it's the study of like where languages came from, how languages work. Um, and he... I've never heard of that. Right? Um, and how languages are like connected to each other and, and kind of like their origin. Um, he may have also studied languages themselves, including Latin, Greek, German, French, Italian, and some Hebrew and Sanskrit. Um, I read in one source that he was proficient in 28 languages, but I, I, I don't believe What? That. I, I don't believe that. I believe the Latin and the Greek and the German, French, Italian, but I, I don't believe 28 languages. But that's where he got the, that's where he got the genius murderer epithet, like him knowing all these languages. Well, and he's got such an interesting background as far as career goes, like lawyer, prison, <laughs> did you say medicinal studies? Like, yes. it's all over Yes. Oh, and he, there's even more. There's even more. Like, he, he's just all over the board with what he's studying. Um, and we'll, we'll get to the other things that he studied later on. Um so while in prison, he was learning all these languages, studying philology, um, and he started working on his theory of language evolution and planned on publishing it um, and calling it the great secret in philology. Um, he even started teaching from his cell. The prison allowed him to teach in his cell. Um, so not only was he called the genius killer, but he was also called the learned murderer. Um, so towards the end of his tenure in Auburn prison, he found out that Tompkins County was going to charge him again for the murder of his wife once he was released because he was charged and was serving his time for the kidnapping of his wife. But this time they were going to charge him for the murder. Um, so he began studying how to defend himself because when you're in prison, besides doing your time and all of the regimented things, you have time to study. Um, so he started, so, go ahead. So no, I was just, um, so they're going to charge him. Did they have additional evidence or were they just going to be like, Hey, we're going to go for it and see what happens. Right. I, 
that's I couldn't find like why they were going to recharge him. I couldn't find like who instigated this, what was going on. I have a feeling that it was her family that was like, no, he killed her. We still haven't found her. He killed her. He killed her. He killed her. That's that's what I'm thinking. But I couldn't find any like reason why they're going to charge him again. Mm-hmm. Um. So he sorry, my husband just woke up. He's he's in the background. Um. So he started studying how to defend himself, and he started um, his legal battle from prison. Um, He claimed double jeopardy, and so instead of charging him, which which technically it was, they charged him for kidnapping, they tried getting him for murder, and he was like, you can't charge me for this again. So instead of charging him for his wife's murder, they charged him for his daughter's murder because they didn't deal with that in the first trial. They only charged him for his wife. Um, So now this second time, they're gonna charge him for his daughter's murder because she still hasn't been found either. He was found guilty in 1858. Um, So then they sent him to another prison for awaiting sentencing. And while he was there, he began tutoring Albert Jarvis, who was the son of the undersheriff and he started tutoring him in Latin and Greek. And since he was tutoring the son, he befriended the son's mother, the wife of the undersheriff. And she didn't believe that he was guilty. So I bet you can see where that's going. Mm-hmm. Eventually, Albert, his tutor, tutoring person, um, helped him escape before sentencing happened. And Ruloff fled west on foot. Um, it was really, it was really clear to everybody that they had, that he had somebody on the inside help him escape. Um, because besides his ankle chain, he had eight separate locked doors to get through from his cell to outside. Hold on a second. Sorry. We're also moving right now. So, so I'm sorry if there's a lot of rustling and stuff in the background. I can barely hear it. It's not bad. Perfect. Awesome. Okay, um, so while he is, while he was escaping, um, he lost. He must have escaped in winter because he lost two toes to frostbite. Um, he was eating whatever he could find, stealing from farms while he was on the on the run, um, and he lost two toes. Wow, which is very helpful later on catching him. Okay. Um, so while he was on the run, he eventually made it to Pennsylvania and he met an investor named A.B. Richmond and Ruloff claimed, uh, that he was, his name was James Nelson. Like Ruloff, Ruloff claimed like, oh, hey, I'm James Nelson. Nice to meet you. Let's, uh, let's start a business together. And Richmond did. And I was like, how, 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 um, Apparently, Ruloff demonstrated knowledge of conchology, mineralogy, forensic anthropology, and entomology. So, minerals, bugs, all sorts of things. So, Richmond was like, wow, yeah, you're a smart guy. Let's let's go into business. So, he worked with Richmond for a while. Um, and then he applied for a professor position at Jefferson College. And he was about to take the position when Albert Jarvis wrote to him for money, 
saying that he and his mom are now destitute and then blackmailed him. If you don't send us money, I'm going to spill the beans about jailbreaking you. So send us some money. So, of course, even though Ruloff has a job, wasn't enough money. So he goes and robs a jewelry store. Send them money. But he's... Yes. He gets caught a lot. He's not a very successful robber. He's really not. He gets caught, but then he gets released on bail. So he goes to Ohio, um, and then he is in Ohio for a while. I'm not sure how long. And then he returns to New York, which is where he's committed some crimes, where he was in prison, where he escaped from prison. Why would you go back to New York? Um, someone recognizes him and he gets arrested for escaping from prison. A young, yeah, he's, he's a mess. He's, they call him the genius killer, but like, why would you go back to the state that you escaped from? Like, it doesn't make any sense. And like, I don't, I don't understand how people keep believing him, but um, he was observed in prison by several different people. And I have quotes of how people observed him. Um, quote, he was gentleness itself and quote, gentle and winsome. So he's, he comes across as just this nice guy, just this nice, sweet, smart guy. Terrifying. Isn't that, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, so terrifying. <laughs> like he just seems like a nice guy, like everybody likes him. Oh, um, so he's in, so he's in prison. Um, and his lawyer, Francis M. Finch, told the court, quote, mere absence did not establish the fact of death. So he's basically saying, I mean, the wife and the daughter, just because just they're missing doesn't mean they're dead. Um, and Dottie, the daughter, may be alive and well somewhere. And the court agreed. The court the court agreed. They were like, yeah, you know what? You're right. So they acquitted him of his oh, wife and daughter's death. They acquitted him. They were like, yeah, you, yeah, they could be alive and happy somewhere. Um, but the town, the town did not accept that. The town was up in arms when they learned that he was going to be acquitted and they formed a lynch mob. <gasps> and they were, they were ready. They were ready to take him out to stop his to stop his reign and but a sheriff helped him escape the mob what <laughs> a sheriff of all people yes like i i don't know it's just he's so likable it's just well, he keeps he keeps getting arrested and then getting freed and then getting arrested and then getting freed it doesn't make any sense what year wow. is this now at this point? This is sometime, I couldn't find when this was, but it is sometime between 1858 and 1861. Okay. What a time. Yeah. <laughs> wild. Very yeah. wild. Yes. 
as well. I mean, the sheriff is probably doing his job. I mean, it's vigilante justice that they're not going to stand for. Right. Typically, it's like he was judged by a jury of his peers and they said he wasn't guilty. He's a farmer. Yeah. I don't know. I Maybe the sheriff should have left him um, because he moved to New York City and he started hanging out with Albert Jarvis and they lived in New York City by robbing stores together. Nice. Of course. They of course, because what else do you do with the jailer's son? Um, they specialized in stealing sewing silk because it was expensive, easy to conceal, and hard to identify as, oh, that's specifically mine. Um, so they were fairly, fairly proficient in that. But 1861, he's arrested again for robbing and sentenced to two years in Sing Sing. And Sing Sing is another New York State prison. Um, it's another New York State prison based on the way the Auburn prison worked. So New York State liked the way the Auburn prison worked. So when they made Sing Sing, they based Sing Sing off of Auburn. So again, hard labor, silence, absolute silence all the time, um, chain gangs, all of that. So again. So you, you don't want to go to Sing Sing. You don't want to go to Sing Sing. You don't want to go to Auburn. You don't want to go to Sing Sing. Those are not, it's not going to be a good time. They're not going to, they're not going to treat you well, or at least back in those times. I believe I read that Sing Sing, they would also use like hard corporal punishments. But, um, so while he was in Sing Sing, he met another prisoner named William T. Dexter, who goes by Billy. And when he and Billy were released from prison, they met up with Albert Jarvis and continued robbing. Because why not? Um, Ruloff went to jail again for receiving stolen goods in Connecticut, but he was only there for two months. And then he got out and continued robbing and went to prison again this time for engineering a bank robbery in New Hampshire. Um, this time he was sentenced to 10 years, but he escaped after three months. Oh my God. All right. Yeah, so he's he's just in and out, in and out of the system all yeah. the time. Like how is he escaping so often? I have no idea. I think it's because he's able to con people into letting him out. Like, oh, I didn't really do it. I'm a great guy. I'm so nice. You know? He's quite the con artist. It's kind of <laughs> impressive. It, he's, he really is. Um, okay, so he got out of, he escaped from prison for the bank robbery in New Hampshire. He moved again. Guess where he, guess where he moves again? Somewhere in New York. Somewhere in New York. He moves <laughs> back to New York because he just can't leave it. And he starts living as Dr. Edward Lurio. And it said that his that his landlady blah blah blah. His landlady highly esteemed him. Everybody likes him. In 1869, he attended the convention of the American Philological Association in Poughkeepsie, and he brought his manuscript. Um, 
And the title of his manuscript was The Origin or Formation of Languages. And he thought this was going to be his ticket to fame and fortune because he was like, I'm a genius. I've studied these languages. I get it. This is how they formed. And he had the intention of auctioning it starting at $500,000. Oh, my God. I, yeah. What? 18, 1869 money. So today, $500,000 then would be $11 million. My goodness. He thought this was, he, he thought he had it. He thought he was a genius. He thought he had it. So he took it to this convention. And so a committee was like, huh, okay, cool. The committee reviewed his work and rejected it. They said, oh. no, this isn't real. Yeah. So uh, when you, when your research gets rejected by a committee, like usually they'll let you know, like, hey, you know, your data's, your data's wrong or you need more data. Your data points are like you didn't do enough. Um, you didn't gather enough data for us to say that this is significantly correct. Like we can't we can't verify this. Um, so I would assume in philology, it's similar. Like, I would assume that they rejected it outright saying like, this is crap. Like, you're, you're crazy. This isn't, this isn't real. Um, this is made up. Whatever. This is made up. Yeah. Like you didn't do any of the work to, to actually say that this is a real, like, this isn't science. This is made up. Oh my gosh. So he's a little heartbroken and upset because, you know, he's a genius. He thinks that he has the answer to the beginning of languages. And he's trying, like, he's been trying this whole time to make his own universal language that everybody can understand and speak. Oh, I mean, granted, if he could, that would be amazing. Um, but not so much. Um Oh no. I no, think I'm I lost oh. Katie. Yay, Katie. Hello, I... <laughs> okay, so I'm on I'm joined on my phone. We'll see how this works. All right. So, Welcome back, Katie. Awesome. And full disclosure, like I did lose internet and so I'd hope it recorded. This was before I lost power earlier. So hopefully hopefully everything worked out. I see the record button everywhere. Oh good. Okay. Sorry. Okay, Emily. Keep no, you're, you're good. You're good. Um, so now that now that the manuscript didn't work out, um, him and Albert and Billy um, hatch the next brilliant plan. So this this is their last brilliant plan. We're almost we're almost at the end. <laughs> um, so this plan was to rob another store, Halbert's Dry Goods in Birmingham, New York. 1870. After midnight, they crept in, um, but they were loud enough that they woke the two live-in clerks that were sleeping upstairs, Frederick Merrick and Gilbert Burroughs. Merrick came down and tried to shoot Roloff, um, but his gun failed to fire, so instead he picked up and threw a stool at Roloff. Burrow, like, Frederick and Gilbert are no joke. Like, they... They defended this store. Um, 
So B- Gilbert Burroughs um, grabs Billy and begins beating him. All right. Frederick, Frederick joins Gilbert and in beating um, in beating Billy, Billy, and Jarvis and Ruloff had had tried to escape, but they hear um, Billy cry out, so they come back to save him. Ruloff fires a warning shot into the air, but Merrick, seeing the other two come back, he threw himself at Jarvis. Ruloff fired another warning shot, but Merrick kept beating Jarvis. So Ruloff shot Merrick in the head, killing him instantly. So the three are able to escape and they missed the barge. So they ended up jumping into the Chenango River to escape. And I had to look up pictures of this river. Um, It's huge. It's a a very wide river. Um, Jarvis and Dexter didn't make it to the other side. They drowned. Oh, um, since, since Burroughs, the other, um, the other shopkeep survived, he called the police and the police began searching for the three men. Um, the two drowned men were fished out of the, fished out of the river and they were put on public display to help identify them. Rul- yeah. Ruloff was at a train station, um, trying to escape. And when a police officer asked him to identify himself, he wouldn't. And then ran. No. (laughs) Yeah, of course, instantly making him super suspicious. They caught him, showed him the two publicly displayed bodies, and he was like, nah, I don't know. Luckily, a member of the crowd was Judge Ransom Balcom, and he recognized Roloff, named him, and said, you murdered your wife and child. And yeah. Yeah. And he told the officers to be wary of him because he was like, quote, this man knows his rights better than you do and will defend them to the last. Dang. Yeah. So he is caught. He's put in jail. um, And they're trying to find as they're as they're searching the crime scene, they find a shoe that has the distinct markings of a person missing two toes. Remember, Ruloff lost two toes to frostbite years ago. Oh my God. So they're like, boom, done. Evidence caught him. So his trial begins January 4th, 1871. It drew crowds of up to 2,000 people daily. Oh my goodness. Like daily. Um, he was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to hang on March 3rd, 1871. While he was in prison, waiting his waiting his sentencing, waiting his waiting for March third to come along, um, there was a lot of public outcry to save him because he's a genius. Oh my! Including um, Horace Greeley of the New York Tribune, he said he thought a man of such intellect was too valuable to earn the death penalty. I mean, a committee of his peers thought his work was crap. So, I don't know. Um, And, of course, during this trial, Ruloff led his own defense again. um, And he asked to be either pardoned or to delay his execution 
um, until he finished his work on his theory of language evolution, then he'd be ready to die. That's, that's pretty narcissistic to ask like, hey, I've got this important work I need to do first. Can you, can you just like, can we just wait? You're gonna need it, just hold on. <laughs> yeah, just, just give me like a couple of years, like I'll be fine. Um, so I mentioned there was a lot of public outcry about his, about his trial, putting him to death. Even Mark Twain got in on this. Whoa. But Mark Twain wrote a satirical piece on everybody else's outcry, like, oh, he's too intelligent. Mark Twain basically wrote, um, I'll offer up another life if a life must be paid, since Ruloff is so smart, so we can't, oh my gosh, we can't lose him. So if a life must be paid, like, I'll find somebody else that you guys can hang. I thought that was pretty, I thought that was pretty great that even Mark Twain got in on it. Um, he said, and I can give you his quote, um, his quote was, if a life be offered up to the gallows to atone for the murder Ruloff did, will that suffice? If so, I will bring forward a man who, in the interest of learning and science, will take Ruloff's crime upon himself and submit to be hanged in Ruloff's place. That is pretty right. good. Right? Like, oh, he's so smart, so let's just put somebody else to death. Oh, my gosh. Um, so after he was already sentenced to hang, people started coming forward and attributing more deaths to him. Um, people started saying that the, his two drowned associates, um, they're saying that they didn't drown in the river. He drowned them to save himself. That way people wouldn't recognize him. Whoa. Um, and his in-laws actually came forward and said, you know, he killed his sister and his sister-in-law and her child. Um, they accused him of poisoning them when they were in his medical care way back before his wife disappeared. Because of course what? he was practicing medicine. Oh my God. Um, before, he con before his execution, he finally confessed to the murder of his wife. He confessed that he hit her in the head with a pestle that he used to grind medicine. Um, so, you know, the pestle is the mortar and pestle. Um, and, but he didn't confess to any other murders. Finally, he was hung on May 18th, 1871. And of course, before he was hung, he requested that his body was put in a vault so no one would desecrate it. Because, mm. you know, why not? Um, but that was not honored. His body was put on public display and a plaster death mask was made of his face. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, oh, there's more. But wait, we're not done with him yet. Um, the lawyer that his lawyer then gave his body to Dr. George Burr because the doctor promised to bury the body in a private cemetery um, if the doctor could keep his head for study. So the lawyer was like, sure, yeah, if you're going to protect his body, sure, you can have his head. Go. But <laughs> after the burial, the body was stolen by medical students. Oh, geez. So I'm wondering if the doctor actually like planned to have the med students dig him back up or if the med students were just like, oh, we're going to follow the doctor and that way we can have this body. Um, uh-huh. I said twisted, whatever the story. Pretty well, 
previously, previously medical students had to steal bodies that way they could study medicine. So, okay. So it's not that big of a stretch. Um, is the, did the death mask survive? Um, you know, I didn't look that up. Let me do a quick search. Um, death mask of Edward Roloff. Oh, yeah, it's, yep, uh-huh. Who has it? Who has it? Somebody's got it. Um, I'll look that up in a minute. Uh... The death mask survived, but what also survived was his brain. No. Um, so the head was being studied by Dr. George Burr. And then the next person that came um, in possession of the head was a Cornell professor, Bert Wilder, who performed uh, like a deep dive study of the head. Um, so he weighed the brain, which weighed 59 ounces when the average human brain weighs 48 ounces. So the brain is enlarged. Um, back when he was alive, he was noted for having an extremely large head. Um, yeah. So his brain is much larger than a normal, an average person's brain. Um, the Professor Wilder noted that the lower part of the brain was abnormally large. Um, and the professor claims that the that the lower part of the brain is the part that is um, mechanical um, mechanical powers. And he said that the um, upper brain was really underdeveloped, very deficient, and the upper part of the brain, um, serves for the person's moral base and sentimentality. Sentimentality. Mm -hmm. um, so not only was it just his brain was huge, but also his skull was incredibly thick. The thinnest, the thinnest part of his skull was three eighths of an inch thick, and in most places it was up to a half an inch thick. The average person's skull is apparently only a quarter of an inch thick. Wow. So not only did he have like a huge brain, but he had a huge skull. It was just massive. That's so bizarre. It, yeah. Isn't, isn't it? And apparently his brain is still in the possession of Cornell University. This reminds me of what was the one you did of the, was it a vampire? Yes. Dusseldorf or yes. was that him? Yes, and they kept his. Um, uh, where is it? It's not Pennsylvania. It's one of it's one of the Ripley's Believe It or Not locations that has his so, brain and head. Yeah, yeah. So the 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 case that Emily did a few episodes ago, um, same thing. Like they kept this guy's head, and they like they bisected it too. Mm -hmm. It's very strange, huh? It's very yeah. bizarre keeping keeping the brain of 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 murderers and criminals yeah it's creepy right and that concludes our story of <laughs> edward roloff the genius killer the oh learned god. murderer he had like nine lives oh my gosh he did times 
he just yeah. kept he just kept escaping. Yeah. Like how crazy. I can't I can't find who has um who has the death. <laughs> but it's it's out there somewhere. Oh my gosh. That's wild. Yes. It just just nuts. And they called him the man of two lives often because he was both, you know, this learned scholar and also a really Robert bad criminal. <laughs> yeah. Really not successful criminal. No. Oh, wow. Well, cool. That was an interesting case, Emily. Yeah. I hope you guys enjoyed. It was, yeah. it was a lot of fun to research. I was like, when is this guy going to get caught for good? When is he going <laughs> to die off? What, what is going on? Yes. Twisted. And I, hadn't, I hadn't heard of him before. Um, I haven't either. So. Yeah, the true crime that I usually or that I've like previously listened to is typically, I, I, I want to say like, usually in the 1900s. So the 1800s mm. ones are just kind of wild in the sense of like the laws and like rules around murder and going to jail and like trial it's just kind of um like a free-for-all almost i mean people got away with a lot more stuff than they they can now obviously so oh Definitely. yeah yeah it's i find it fascinating to see because sometimes um like as they progressed further closer to the um the 20th century yeah you can see how stuff is just changing in terms of evidence and how they, how they solve crimes. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, even, I mean, even in, I'm trying to think we've done a couple cases where it was that long ago, but they still got caught and it just was like, of like the weirdest circumstances. Like they just right. kind of got lucky with, with the evidence and, and witnesses and everything. Yes. But yeah. Oh <laughs> nuts if there's if there's no body there's no crime yeah whatever well, yeah i mean still even today it's hard like they'll still take you to trial even if there's no body in some instances but a lot of times uh, it's like i think they they need that, that yeah. proof of of death i guess um yeah yeah, yeah. and um, like all this evidence it should have yeah. been that <laughs> <laughs> it shouldn't have been that hard everybody <laughs> right put you, away. you caught him robbing keep him in prison yeah oh well God. like and then you back at the longevity all career and then it's very so yes yeah yes he keeps getting put in jail for robbing like he's not doing a great He's not, he's not being an up to upstanding citizen. Like, no, way. not a good guy. Well, and like, was he just kind of hard up on money or like, do we even really know why he was committing crimes? Was he bored? I, I don't know. We don't, we don't, I, I couldn't find any reason for why he was robbing. If he was just robbing for money it, yeah. or if he was robbing because he's a genius and he's bored. Yeah, he just wanted to get away with it. Right. Oh, maybe. It yeah. Sounds like, it sounds like he was like a mass manipulator and just like trying to like mess with people and things all the time. Yeah, could be. Yeah. 
my gosh. <laughs> it's just nuts. Good story for the Saturday morning. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I guess we can jump into our, our mocktail mocktail segment. Um, yeah. Alyssa, I didn't know if you, um, do you have a favorite, like, go-to mocktail or? That's a good question. I don't know. I feel like with the mocktails that I make, I usually just um, kind of, like, go for whatever's in season. So I'll just pick up a bunch of fresh fruit and, like, herbs and things like that and kind of just get creative with it. So I kind of have it nailed down now where it's, like, I know, like, just the amount of like fruit that I'd like to put in it, herbs, like a little sweetener. Um, and I'm like a huge fan of fizziness and like club soda. So I'll mm -hmm. usually yes. add something fizzy to my mocktails. Um, sometimes not. And I know that's not for everybody, but I love it. Um, I actually just did like a, I called it a pina colada mocktail. Really, I don't think it's like a true pina colada. But I used um, a non-alcoholic coconut rum. I blended up some fresh pineapple and ice. Um, and then I put some coconut milk in it and then some cinnamon. Ooh. And it was so, so good. It was also like 100 degrees that day. So it was just, it was like perfect. a perfect mocktail. So hot out. Um, and usually I wouldn't go for, like, I'm not a huge fan of like creamier drinks or even blended mm -hmm. drinks a lot of the mm -hmm. time but it was it was phenomenal so that was probably my my most favorite one that I've made recently I love doing like mojito mocktails too I just mm -hmm. really like mint um and again the carbonation stuff too so I think it's always it's always best to use like fresh fruit but you don't have to use fresh fruit mm -hmm. realistically don't you know, you don't need a whole lot to make like a pretty good mocktail in my opinion. So. Yeah, for sure. That sounds yeah. awesome. perfect. It's so hot here. A pina colada sounds oh, great. And mojitos. Yeah. yeah. Where are you guys located? I'm in Houston. Okay. So okay. We are boiling this week. Like yeah. we've had heat index has been over 110 degrees every day this week. Oh. Like like they're sending, you know, the heat index warnings to your phone and everything. Like, don't go outside. It's yeah. too hot. Yeah. So that sounds Great. perfect. Yeah. For sure. Where are you, Katie? Um, so I'm in uh, New Braunfels, Texas. Um, I'm about three hours from Emily. I'm like, it's okay. more central, central Texas. But gotcha. still crazy hot and awful. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah, I'm located up in I'm just south south of Minneapolis. So, oh. uh, not as hot as you guys, but it does get pretty <laughs> like muggy. Right now it's kind of Ooh. it's kind of like a we have a lot of smoke going on from the fires up in Canada. Oh yeah. yeah. And like kind of muggy right now. It's not like the most side, but we've been dealing with that for the last several weeks. So wow, smoky and muggy. That's gotta be that's gotta be terrible. Yeah, like oh bad. It was pretty clear, pretty gorgeous. I was up at my cabin. Um, but yeah, it's been like kind of coming in and out the smokiness, and it's just hopefully that we can get these fires under control. It's not fun. Yes. Yeah, definitely. That's yeah. crazy. Um, 
So Alyssa, you, um, you made an ebook, right? Of your, I'm your cocktails, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, so I have two things that I kind of am working on. So I have a free mocktail, um, like ebook recipe ebook. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's got awesome. my mocktail recipes in there. If anybody wants to go on to my Instagram page, you just click the link that's in my bio and you can download the free ebook. Um, I'm working on converting it into like a Google Doc so I can just continuously update it. And then anybody who downloads it, they'll just keep getting the most recent copy. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah, I just have to work on converting it because right now it's just a PDF. So whatever version at the time I have uploaded, that's the version you get. But mm -hmm. I'd like it more of like a live document where I can keep adding recipes into it. Mm -hmm. And then whoever has it can go back and then see the latest recipes. Um, cool. I, I need to like work on my tech a little bit to get it to <laughs> work that way. But I know that you can do it. Um, and yeah, and then I'm working on like an alcohol-free living sort of guide slash workbook right now. Uh, I'm about like, I'd say 75% done with it. And then I'd like to get it peer reviewed because I want it to be like a legitimate document that can really help people who are looking to take alcohol out of their life or just wanting to kind of lessen their consumption. Just helping people to be more mindful about alcohol and how it sort of affects them in their daily lives and the trajectory that they're on. So I've been working on that this summer and I'm excited to have it done in the next couple of weeks. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's going to be so helpful. Yeah. I just had a I just had a coworker who was having a really bad day the other day was like, "Ugh, I need a drink." And I was yeah. like, "No. <laughs> you need a bucket. It'll be okay. Just, yes. just watch a movie or something. Let's go dancing instead." I know. Let's go for a walk. Or maybe not. It's hot outside. Never mind. Yeah, it's hot. <laughs> we'll go dancing. <laughs> yeah. So that's going to be really helpful, Alyssa. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> So, yeah, that's the point. I want to help as many people as possible. Like, if you're struggling with with drinking, and I don't know, I, I personally used it as a crutch for a really long time. And I know a lot of people who did the same in the past or continue to do so. So I just hope that it's super beneficial for some people. Yeah, cool. Well, we look forward to, to reading that when you put it up there. Yeah, thank yeah. you. I can't but wait I to go download your ebook. Yeah. <laughs> download my e my ebook um i'll figure out how to get it live but i don't know i guess your guys's relationship with mocktails or with like drinking in general um if you guys yeah. like don't drink or if it's just the fact that you love mocktails because obviously you can drink mocktails and still drink alcohol too yeah for me um i stopped drinking gosh it's been maybe two years or so um and I used mocktails at the very beginning as like, I leaned on them a lot just because yeah. the way to, it was something creative to do. And just, you know, I wanted the, I don't know, I guess it was the fanciness. I don't know. Um, yeah. So I leaned on those a lot and anymore, I just, it doesn't, I don't even really think about it anymore. It's just kind of yeah. um, my way of life now. And like with malice and mocktails, when I, thought about doing the podcast I was like it was kind of like just a kitschy name I was like I need something to we'll see how it goes and it just like a lot of people a lot of people have told me they like the 
the mocktail recipes at the end um, because they don't drink and they're yeah. a lot of, but yeah, a lot of people who've uh, given, given us reviews or emailed us and just been, Hey, that's really cool. So I was like, okay, cool. We'll, we'll just keep rolling with it. That's so sweet. That's amazing. Yeah. And congratulations on taking it out of your life for the last two years. Oh, Welcome. thanks. Cool. Thank when I stopped drinking, I wasn't, I honestly wasn't really that big into mocktails. I, I think that probably would have been triggering for me. Um, and also they weren't just, I mean, three years ago, I felt like, I guess I was unaware of the non-alcoholic industry truly. And so I didn't even know that it was really a thing up until probably the last year or so. Mm-hmm. So I just stuck to my like flavored uh, carbonated beverages and stuff like that. And that worked for me for a really long time. But I like how you say like with the mocktails, it just like does something for you. It's not obviously mm-hmm. you're not buzz or anything like that, but it is really like an elevated way to enjoy yourself and like drink and feel kind of included and fun, exciting outings or just like winding down. I think it's the whole like, the whole like act of pouring yourself or mixing yourself a drink and then going to like sit down or relax. It's just, it kind of triggers your brain into being like, okay, now it's time to relax or like now it's time to go out and have fun. It's just like habitual almost. So. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. I agree. I really like, so before Katie introduced me to mocktails, I was just drinking like Coke, Dr. Pepper tea, whatever. It's fine. It's just normal. But going through, just like you said, like going through the act of like making yourself a fancier drink, it's like, Ooh, I'm fancy today. I've got a treat. Like this is, this is exciting. Yeah. I I really, I really enjoy it. I'm, I'm having a lot of fun. Yeah. Do you guys have a go-to mocktail that you make or that you order? Not yet. Um, Not yet. I'm finding my mocktail. Yeah. A lot of times I'll just ask the bartender, like, hey, surprise me, you know, as long as it doesn't have alcohol, like we're good. And yeah. a lot of times they'll come back with some pretty cool stuff. A lot of times it's fruity, but um, uh, I want to say um, I was in, where was I? I was in Charlotte and I didn't order a mocktail order, just a Heineken Zero, but they had um, Seed Lip and a couple of other um, uh, zero proof alternatives. And I should have ordered a mocktail, but I've noticed that a lot of more restaurants and bars are carrying the alternatives um, as well, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I've noticed that too, that more and more bars are carrying and it's not, you know, they're like non-alcoholic selections really expanding because of that too. So when they're carrying alcoholic gin or whiskey or whatever it is, it's like, it gives, it just feels that more inclusive and there's Mm -hmm. more options for everyone versus having to order a soda or just a water. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And I like how there's non-alcoholic products too, that are coming out where they're not actually mimicking alcohol flavors Mm -hmm. um, where it's like seed lip, where it's like they have the garden 108 or they have like a, I think it's like a cedar one or Mm -hmm. more an all spice sort of flavor which they're not trying to mimic like gin or rum or whatever it is. And I find that kind of interesting too, because it's really like putting sort of 
the focus on something truly outside of alcohol and not feeling like you have to mimic alcohol to like have a good time or have a fun drink, you know, I find that really interesting. Yeah. I, I like that too. Cause I've, um, my, our, um, dad and a stepmom have been sober for I think six years, six or seven years. Has it been that long already? Yeah, it has. Um, I'm so proud of them. Me too. And for them, at least for stepmom, she had said that for her, it would be a slippery slope when Mm -hmm. it came to, uh, NA beer or the alternatives they're trying to mimic, um, liquor. And so for her, she just kind of sticks with, you know, fizzy water and soda which is great i mean if that works awesome but i totally get it um that it's not for everybody as well so i like i do like um how the like it's kind of a botanical almost i think is what i would call like a botanical blend um so oh i hope they start making a whole bunch of like super flowery ones (laughs) have stuff like that and yeah, I can see how it would be triggering for people. Like I said, I think in early sobriety, I probably would have been triggered by like an NA whiskey and or whatever. Mm, yeah. Um, but yeah, as they come out with like different flavors, and I think that the taste and the quality of the non-alcoholic spirits ha- has really progressed and will keep progressing. I think more and more people will be open to even people who, you know, like drink alcohol and they mm-hmm. just like don't drink for a night or for a week or whatever it is you have those options so yeah yeah so exciting yeah awesome yeah thank you guys I really appreciate you having me on this is I loved the story I love the format of stuff like I think it's a really awesome idea cool thank you we're so glad you were able to join us um so where um before we go where can folks find you yeah, so Instagram at Talk the Mock. I do have a TikTok that I'm trying to start posting on more, but really I'm going to be most active on Instagram. So check me out on Insta. Nice. Awesome. Well, this has been super fun. Um, and thank you so much for being on the show, Alyssa. This has been great. Um, yeah, so we'll um, probably try to get this episode posted probably Monday or Tuesday. Okay. And then we can, we'll, we'll tag you. Do what? Super right. quick. That'll be a quick turnaround. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully, I hopefully I can I can edit. Hopefully, it all recorded and I can edit yes. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we we typically um, will record um, on a Saturday and then I try to get it up by like Monday or Tuesday. Um, Very so, cool. Yeah. Perfect. I'm excited. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. I guess I I guess that's it. Um, so yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Enjoy thank your you so much. And I can't wait to listen to the episode. It'll be great. Awesome. Cool. Yay. All right. Well, we will talk to you soon. Okay, perfect. Right. Bye guys. Bye. Bye. So I didn't bring this up when we were talking, so I didn't think about it, but you mentioned that Edward, it was Edward, right? Roloff. Yes. Yes. His name. Okay. Um, how his his head was a little, I guess, larger. Um, than- not a little. His head was enormously gigantic.
Like uh, oh. he, it was, it was quoted as being extremely large. Oh so his his head was like n- noticeably larger than an average head. So do you think he might have had um, hydrocephaly? I don't know. Um, I mean, anything is possible. So real quick for our listeners at home, because um, I did not know what hydrocephalus was. I had to look it up. Like, I kind of knew what it was, but I didn't really. Um, It's a condition where cerebrospinal fluid um, starts accumulating in the brain, um, causing brain swelling, and um, which can, it can happen as an infant, it can happen as an adult, um, but typically if it happens as an infant, Um, when you're still growing and stuff, your skull can get larger to accommodate all the extra fluid in there. Um, and it can be, it can be, it can cause a lot of, a lot of issues. So maybe, Katie, maybe, um, I didn't read anywhere that he was having any typical symptoms of hydrocephalus, but I mean... He had he had a larger than average head, so it's possible. Yeah, I don't know. There are a lot of different causes, including like brain injuries, all the way to um, meningitis. Um, so there's a lot of different causes, um, but symptoms can be as small as headaches to urinary incontinence to personality changes to seizures and mental impairment. So, I mean, we wouldn't really know if his personality changed because there's nothing basically about him before 20. But, um, I mean, maybe, 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 maybe that's why he kept getting caught. Maybe that's why he wasn't a very successful criminal because um, he had too much cerebrospinal fluid, like, Putting pressure on his brain. Oh, my goodness. Maybe. Maybe. This we'll never know. I know. Maybe, maybe, maybe whoever has the brain, maybe Cornell um, can take a look and, and compare his brain to other brains that were known to have hydrocephalus. Oh, maybe. If we have any Cornell listeners or anybody who's taking a trip there. Uh, maybe you can go to take a peek at the brain. Interesting. Huh. Yeah, that would be very interesting yeah. to have them have them take a look and see if maybe that's um, why his brain and head were so large. Yeah, maybe because I mean I I'm not seeing anything where the skull gets thicker, but maybe the skull would get thicker um, in order to protect. This giant brain? <laughs> maybe? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I, I really, I'm, we're totally just speculating right now. 100%. 100%. This is pure speculation. Yeah. Guessing. Guessing at this point. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah. Well, it was, it was a, a really neat case. And again, um, thank you to Alyssa for joining us. 
as yes. our guest. I think that we had such a good time and um, it was really neat to hear about her journey and her sharing her um, link to her ebook. And I'm super excited um, just to keep up with all the cool things she's doing. Yes. And are you going to link all of um, all of her information in the show notes to make it easier oh, yes. for our listeners? Perfect. Yes. All of that will be in the show notes. And um, if you follow us on Instagram, I will post once the episode's live and I'll tag her so you guys can go follow her. Yay. And um, as always, if you've enjoyed this episode and like our content, please um, rate, review, and subscribe. Yeah. On Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. And um, you can also reach us at maliceandmocktails at gmail.com. And um, and we also have a super cool new store that Katie set up. Katie, where can they find the store? Oh, yeah. So there's, um, it's linked hmm. in our bio on Instagram, but it's, um, it's jk misc emporium.com and there's a section for our malice and mocktails merch and that's miss as in short for miscellaneous so m-i-s-c yes yes and um we're it's still july so we do have we're offering a 20 percent off uh discount and uh, use code MALICEJULY when you check out to get 20% off your order. And um, shipping is also free. So that trying to help people out there. Woohoo! So, yeah. Yay. Yay. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so excited. Like the stuff is Me really too. cute. If y'all have, if y'all have any ideas for designs that you would like to see, let us know. Cause we're always trying to come up with new, um, new merch. Cause, uh, cause I have a really dumb idea of like Katie and Katie made it. Katie made it. And I was so excited. I just have all these like really dumb ideas of like crows. Cause you know, have a murder of crows sitting around like drinking mocktails. Um, I just, I think that's, I think that's hilarious. Um, <laughs> and I have, I told y'all before I have crows at work. Sorry, I'm getting loud. Um, I have the crows at work and I'm trying really hard not to feed the crows, not to befriend the crows by giving them shiny objects because I know if I start feeding them and they start like bringing me gifts while I'm at work, work is going to come out with some kind of standard procedure that says don't feed the birds or the crows. <laughs> and I just, I don't, I don't need a procedure telling me not to do it. So I'm just not going to do it, but they can't stop me from talking to the crows. So I talk to them. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Now I sound like a crazy bird lady. <laughs> <laughs> no, go on, I mean go on crow talk. Go on crow crow TikTok and you will see people giving crows like food and things like that. And the crows will bring back shiny things as gifts and they'll like basically like just kind of be watchdogs for your property. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's pretty cool. Like crows are crows are neat. I do like crows. I do like crows. Um but now we've we've like devolved into banter, so I think we should sign off now. <laughs> I know. I apologize. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. okay. Um, 
yes. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, this was just a quick debrief um, following the episode. So if you listen this far, congratulations and thank you. And we love and you. We love you. Make good choices. And Make we good will, choices. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Ha, ha, ha.